You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. And did you see what the White Sox Twitter account put out? And then what the team did for opening day out in Anaheim with Aloy Jimenez's jersey? Did you see this thing? See how ridiculous I it was, was? I was briefly worried that the guy had passed away on the operating table. <laughs> I mean, like, some tragedy had befallen him. You know, they went to repair the pec muscle and he had a reaction or something because that's what you do when a teammate is gone. I, I almost feel like the Angels might have been offended because they've actually lost a guy. You know, a guy died. One of their teammates died. Two of them, actually, in recent history. And here's here's Jose holding up Eloy's jersey and his batting gloves like, we'll never see the man again. Yeah. We're probably going to see him in a couple of weeks. It was so weird. It was so, I mean, like, really, it was over the top. The, they, they send out, the Twitter account sends out the picture. They're hanging Eloy Jimenez's jersey with the back with his name and his number facing out in their dugout with his red gloves attached to the top of the hanger and every single player has signed his jersey and then Abreu brings it out for the opening day introduction and holds it and you have to remember that the Angels lost a a, a couple players like you said recently and the, the most recent one remember they laid all the jerseys on the mound and yes. they've had these moments in recent history, and we just have a guy who injured himself stupidly jumping over a wall, and we're acting like he's dead. The, the hashtag R.I.P. Eloy was trending. Like, this, because people were making fun of how ridiculous it was. Like, it's not just us that noticed it. No. No, a vast amount of White Sox fans saw this and was like, what are you doing? Like, I'm all for supporting a guy who got injured. But let's not forget, he got injured because he was stupid, because he jumped for a ball that he had no opportunity to get, and because that's what he does. Aloy Jimenez gets injured. And now all of a sudden we're making it like he died? Is this another Adam Eaton crazy thing? Like, are we? Why is it when Adam Eaton's on my team? I know this isn't his fault. Jose Abreu's holding the jersey. But why why do weird things happen in that clubhouse when he's a member of the clubhouse? Like, there's still a part of me that sits there and says, we haven't seen anything this weird since, I don't know, Chris Sales uh, cut up jerseys and a Drake LaRoche jersey was was hanging in the locker room. Like, this is the weirdest thing since then. And you're right. The common denominator is... Adam Eaton! Spanky. Spanky's the common denominator. If I found out he had this idea and pitched it to Abreu later on, I would not be shocked at all. No, I wouldn't be surprised. But you know what I would be surprised, too, is if uh, Jace Fry and Adam Engel don't come back into that clubhouse, just mad as hell because they didn't get any kind of special treatment. Hey, nobody cares about them. Nobody. Yeah. Adam <laughs> Engel should have been playing left field in place of Aloy on, you know, on opening night. But he pulled his hamstring and he's not there. So I didn't see his jersey hanging there. Poor Jace Fry and his bad back. I mean, he should be there instead of Jose Ruiz. But you don't see his jersey hanging out there with all the autographs. But Aloy, yeah, Aloy jumps over a wall to watch a home run fly 20 feet over his head, and we're autographing his jersey and hanging it in, in memoriam. I know, in memoriam. Like, that's where we're at with this. It's insane. This is Socks in the Basement. Pull up a stool on our nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. The podcast for fans, by fans, brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. Look, 
After everything thawed out, you probably noticed a few weird oddities. And now you're getting uh, weather and rain and things like that. And you might be seeing seepage in your basement or maybe you haven't taken a look at what's going on down there in the guts of your house. My dad always used to say, when you're going to buy a house, look at the guts and make sure that you're not all of a sudden going to get like a flood. Or is there like weird markings on the wall because there's water coming in? Family Waterproofing Solutions takes care of all that for you. They are our proud sponsors, been with us for a long time, highly rated. Go look them up online. The phone number right on the logo for Socks in the Basement on whatever podcast player you're using or also at SocksInTheBasement.com. Visit them at FAMWS.com and mention us. You will get a discount. It's the craziest thing in the world, the Jimenez thing. It also has to be kind of a little off-putting, as you said, to, let's say, Jace Fry or Adam Engel, who are clearly not very important in the eyes of their teammates compared to the the large memorial. I mean, what are we are we going to actually have a special plane flyover for Aloy at the home opener? Like are we going to go worse at our own home opener? Like I'm nervous about that. Like just a warning to the White Sox. Stop this madness right now. He's a player no who got injured. He didn't die. Of silence. Right, he doesn't no have moments. he doesn't have cancer like Carlos Carrasco. Let's all just get a breath here. If you're all, you're if you're Yoan Mangata who fought through COVID last year, Where's your tribute? Where do the tributes end? He's injured. Move on. If if, if Abreu wants to put red gloves in his back pocket, cool. That's awesome. If somebody wants to etch like his number onto their hat, awesome. If a pitcher goes behind the mound and writes, you know, get well soon, Aloy, I'm cool with it. This was over the top. It was weird. Don't do it anymore, please. No, and, and, and you mentioned like Cookie Carrasco had cancer. Trey Mancini, the Orioles had cancer. There are way bigger problems than a torn pec muscle jumping over a wall. Outfielders get hurt going to the wall all the time, and you don't lament the loss that deeply every time somebody gets hurt. I mean, you know, what happens if he had just pulled a groin muscle? Would he be holding his pants up and everybody (laughs) autograph those? Thank God it was a pec muscle, you're saying. Yeah. And they're not all all signing the crotch of his pants with the 7-4 on the leg or something like that? Yeah, yeah, you know, right where the number would have been on the old uh, the old red, white, and blue jammies from 83. All right, another thing that was trending on Twitter after opening night, which, by the way, we're not going to get into it too much, just a disappointing end to a game. Uh, yeah, opening night was rough. It's going to happen. I mean, over 162, you're going to have games like that. So. Right. I mean, at first, Giolito looked awesome. He's an ace. Uh, I loved how Tony La Russa pulled him when he pulled him. It was the right move. Ricky Renteria would never make that move. That was a total Tony La Russa move. Tony... Likes to go to his pen. He doesn't hesitate. And the moment he thinks you're done, you're done. And he made the right move with that. How is he supposed to know that things were just going to go right off the rails in the eighth inning? You had two outs immediately in the eighth inning of opening night that became like a comedy of errors. Bummer goes and tips a ball that likely Madrigal is going to make a play on. Then Madrigal makes a terrible play on a possible double play ball, which his manager immediately said, well, I don't know if he could have been able to turn that double play. I've been told forever that this guy is a defensive superstar, but in about 40 games in the majors, I haven't seen it. I've been told forever this guy has incredible baseball IQ, but I've seen base running gaffes. I've seen mistakes in judgment. I've seen the ball coming at him and he's not sure where it's going to go yet. I don't see that yet. Like he's still a rookie and I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, but he was trending when I turned on my computer the next day. And look at the at the Saxon Basement Twitter account with people infuriated with Nick Mandrigal 
and debating whether or not we've been sold a, a, a false bill of goods. What do you think, man? I mean, do you think that like it's an overreaction or a legitimate reaction to what we've seen on him so far? It's a tremendous overreaction. The guy has not been in the majors for very long. And you're going to tell me that a guy who had a cup of coffee basically last year, I forget he played a full season by comparison because he didn't. You know, there was, what, 60 games total last year. He played part of those games because he was hurt and, you know, he wasn't up right away. This guy basically had a September call-up, the equivalent of it in 2020. He's on opening night in Anaheim. He's on opening night in the Sox lineup. He is trying to prove that he belongs on a championship team. You're going to tell me that that guy's head isn't a little spinning just a little bit. You know, I, talk to me a month from now if he's making stupid plays like that. You know, but no, it's a huge overreaction to sit there and say that we've seen enough of Nick Madrigal to know that we were sold a bill of goods. Uh, and, you know, and, and I like the fact that Larusa defended him. But I, I have to tell you, I was listening to Larusa's post game press conference, and and frankly, I was I was in the can, which I could still hear the TV from there, uh, and I couldn't hear everything Tony was saying, right. but I could hear his tone of voice, right? So Tony's defending his decision to pull Giolito. He's defending Nick Madrigal, but I could I could hear his tone of voice, and his tone of voice was. I'm saying these things. I'm defending my players. I'm defending my decisions. Don't push it, guys. You know, he had that that classic Tony LaRusa, I don't like the media, but I'm going to give you these answers kind of tone. So he's in midseason form as far as this stuff is concerned. And I'm glad he didn't throw Madrigal under the bus there because he could have very easily just said, look, it's a bad play. He needs to make it next time. Every time that he talks, I sit there and I think to myself, he he really is a professional. He he really is in the Hall of Fame. He really is Tony La Russa, and he might be old and there's going to be times he's going to be crotchety. And he's probably not going to get super fired up most of the time when he talks because he's answered the exact same question over and over and over again over his very long career. But he knows exactly what to do with this. He understands what he's got. He understands he's got a team that's that's littered with rookies or pseudo-rookies that are very young and there's an awful lot of expectation, but they're gonna get on they're gonna get on themselves. Like they're gonna be very hard on themselves, I think, early on. I felt like Lucas Giolito just coming out of the gate on the first night, sitting there and 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 trying to do everything he can to win 162 games right there on the mound all by himself. On pitch number one. Right. He, he The amount of pitches he threw in the first couple innings, he's hyped, he's pumped, he's striking out guys. I, I think I saw a stat, he's the first pitcher to ever strike out the side to start off a season. There was some, some weird thing that popped up. Maybe that's just for the White Sox. I was surprised that that never happened before. But here's a guy who's yeah, just, yeah. he wanted to go and do that. And I get it, and there's fire, but there's also, I think, a little bit of butterflies for this team, and it's going to be up to Tony to kind of explain to him, like, hey, guys, it's a long season. You're going to have wins and losses and goofy little bounces, and you're going to have a team walk off on you, and you're going to walk off on other teams, and you can't get too high and you can't get too low. And he's going to have to be that stabilizing voice in a very, very young and yet very talented team with really high expectations. And that, that's going to be the key all year long. That's what LaRusso is supposed to bring to your team. Not only the strategy, but he also has to be the guy that handles that. And maybe next time somebody wants to say, I don't know, memorialize a player that's only out with an injury, say, hey, knock it off, you idiots. You know, I get muscle aches all the time. 
I've gone from being able to do whatever I want to and not feeling any pain to basically getting pain for any kind of physical activity. Good news, there's a local family-owned Southside business that provides a CBD topical that will not break the bank. Creaky Bone Balm offers concentrated relief for creaky bones. It is an effective hemp-based CBD in a rejuvenating balm. And guess what? It's made in small batches, always free of preservatives, and all natural ingredients. It's great for muscle aches, tension, inflammation, joint pain. You can even use it for skin ailments like burns and dry cracked skin. Right now, go to creakybone.com and use the promo code BASEMENT. Get 20% off your order. Whether it's physical activity or off-season stress, Creaky Bone's gonna help you out. Use that promo code BASEMENT, 20% off your order right now at creakybone.com. What I'd really like to see for the memorialization of Aloy Jimenez is for him to pull a Bobby Valentine and his jersey's hanging there in the dugout and then he just walks out in what is clearly a fake mustache and is just kind of, kind of standing there next to it, you know, hoping nobody notices. That would be great. All right. So you know, since he's alive, an interesting thing that popped up just around the, the start of the season and you might have missed it getting ready for opening day, being excited, starting to see what the finalized roster is going to be going into things. The White Sox did not put Jace Fry on the 60-day IL. And that was something we thought they might do because otherwise right. they were going to have a roster crunch. But then the roster crunch existed. Somebody had to be jettisoned off the 40-man roster. Now, when Jose Ruiz wins the job and becomes the eighth pitcher out of your bullpen, that meant Nick Turley was going to be released and get passed through waivers, which they did, and he made it, and he's going to be yep. sitting, I think, at the alternate site. And so you have a lefty that's down there that didn't make the team. He's not on the 40-man, but he's available to you. But they also had to get rid of one more person. And what the White Sox did is they tried to pass Bernardo Flores Jr., who was 25th, I think, on MLB.com. No, he's 27th best prospect in the in the organization, I believe, the last time MLB.com showed their their top 100 prospects, and then the top 30 for each team. And he was 25th on the future Sox list on their most recent one. Our good friends right. over there, yeah, James Fox, right. is always on the show. They lost him to the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah. And essentially what the White Sox did, folks, they chose not between Ruiz and Turley. They chose between keeping Jose Ruiz in their organization or Bernardo Flores Jr. They made the decision that the best pitcher for them now and likely in the future as these two guys are basically the same age, that Ruiz they wanted to protect and keep and have up here instead of Flores. And now Flores will likely become a player in the majors for the St. Louis Cardinals because he still has a very promising career ahead of him. So that is a that is an organizational decision right there. What did you think of it? You know, I, I can't tell if they were trying to get away with it the way they did with Emilio Vargas earlier in the offseason where they managed to pass him through waivers and they just thought, look, Flores hasn't shown enough. Uh, you know, maybe nobody will take him. Or if it's just one of those things where they're looking at it going, yeah, we know he's ranked on our top 30, but he's not going to be a starter for this team anytime soon, given what they have in the majors and then what's behind him in the minors. I mean, he, he was not next in line if there's an injury by any stretch of the imagination. So it could just be also out of kind of deference to him, and maybe there's no trade market for the guy, or at least nothing worth getting. I just sit there and went, look, if, if we lose him, we lose him and good for Bernardo. Uh, if we don't lose them, good for us. And they made that choice there. Although, you know, at the end of the day, I never would understand giving up pitching depth that you think is going to be more valuable than, you know, 
a guy like Jose Ruiz, who has kind of proven that he doesn't really have any value. So I had to take a look at these two guys and look at their stats and kind of become acclimated with where they were when the White Sox made this decision. Flores had actually looked really good in the low levels, in your single A and your double A, all the way through 2018. He was up and down in 19, depending on where they had him, but he had not even made it to triple A. And then last year, he gets a cup of coffee. He gets two appearances where he goes out and he gives up a couple of hits, gives up a couple of walks. He doesn't do anything very spectacular and it doesn't look too good. He was he was elevated quick. He hadn't even gotten a chance really in triple A for the White Sox. So that would make more sense that he would eventually end up in AAA for the White Sox and continue his path. Jose Ruiz has actually had time in the majors. In fact, in 2019, he had 40 games that he appeared in for a period of 40 innings. And over those 40 games and 40 innings, he averaged exactly two base runners per inning. That's atrocious. And his fielding independent pitching of 5.36 was right about where his ERA was of 5.63, which means he wasn't unlucky. That's what he was. Atrocious. Then he gets to 2020, and he gets a very, very small sample size of five games where he comes in for four innings, and he doesn't put a lot of guys on, but his fielding independent pitching was just a hair under four, so that 2.25 ERA isn't as real as it seems in that very small sample size. But he proved enough to the White Sox that they were like, we like this guy more. And that was the thing. I mean, like, I get it. You're trying to win right now. So you're like, we don't have time to wait for Flores. But later on, you might you're, you might find very easily that the better of the two ended up on the Cardinals in the long run. I understand the short term. And let's be honest, once Fry comes back, Ruiz is probably gone. So we're just splitting hairs about uh, like a player that isn't going to matter long term for the White Sox. But they did make a decision short term on the idea that we like Ruiz right now until Fry comes back and we're willing to roll the dice on possibly losing a Flores. That's basically what they did. Yeah, and it's still, you know, if you're going to look at it from a number standpoint, it still doesn't really track what they did because Ruiz is just a guy at best. And, and, you know, when he was with the Padres organization, he was just a guy there too. He wasn't exactly anything great. I mean, this isn't a guy that was, you know, a highly sought-after prospect. So there either there's something that they see in him that they think Ethan Katz can drag something new out of this person, out of Jose Ruiz and, and whatever his profile has been up to this point, or they are literally just holding on to him right now as the, we know we are going to add someone or something to this 40 man roster at some point during the season. And we're going to need the sacrificial lamb to jump off of it. And that's going to be Jose Ruiz. One week from now, Socks in the Basement back out with the people at Cork and Carey at the Park, 33rd in Princeton. That is April the 10th, the Saturday game two of their opening series against the Kansas City Royals. The White Sox will be taking the field at 1.10 p.m., but we will be at the Southside tradition known as Cork and Carey at the Park at 33rd in Princeton starting at 11 a.m. So if you are going to the ballgame, pregame with us if you are not going to the ball game watch the game with us when it starts after the pregame there's going to be seating indoors and outdoors we are going to be podcasting live over the Podbean app you can get that app at socksinthebasement.com scheduled to join us the list could change but scott merkin from mlb.com members of the 108 
Matt Sawaski from the Pinwheels and Ivy Pod, and our good friend and one of my favorite analysts out there, Jordan Lazowski from Sox on 35th, plus the possibility that James Fox from Future Sox stops by. A lot of the guys you hear normally on this show going to be out there at that event, and there could be even more surprises. We are going to have a blast for a couple hours out there. And everybody, as long as supplies last, and we've got a lot of supplies, everybody is getting a free Socks in the Basement trucker hat. These things normally are available in our store at SocksInTheBasement.com at 15 bucks a piece. We're giving them away for free to everybody that shows up at the event as long as supplies last. Great bar over there at Cork and Carry at the park. Great food over there, the gourmet burgers. Listen, let me give you a tip. The Sox are not at home this Monday. They're on the road. During road games, actually anytime there isn't a White Sox home game, Monday night, Cork and Carry at the park gives you two burgers for the price of one when you dine in. So many to choose from. Check out the menu and everything they have going on at CorkandCarryAtThePark.com and we will see you on April the 10th, a week away, folks, from the day this show comes out. 33rd in Princeton, come out and hang with Sox in the basement and fellow White Sox fans as the White Sox take on the Royals. 11 a.m. pregame begins. The game kicks off in the watch party at 1.10. We will see you there. You know, I've decided that Steve Stone is my my spirit animal because he's in midseason form already. Like his comments on the broadcast right away, kicking off the season, you know, this opening weekend. He, he's in midseason form. He right away questioned why aren't we reviewing the call with Madrigal on the stolen base on opening night? He's he's yeah. questioning moves that are being made. He's getting annoyed with strike zones. Like, in fact, I think he spent a little bit too much time with Hawk Harrelson up there because he seems to be channeling Hawk at times. Like, I like, I don't know if you noticed yeah, this. There's a little bit but, of there's a little bit of grumpy old man Hawk right? coming out in Stoney. Like, remember when we used to sit there and say poor Stoney's stuck up there with Hawk and he just gets really quiet because he's like, man, this guy's just angry and yells about umpires and calls at the plate. Steve Stone is yelling about strike zones now. Like, Steve Stone's getting very angry about why didn't this happen. Like, uh, like the replay we found out later on, they changed the rule. They don't get 30 seconds to review. They get 20. So, in reality, I think you're going to have to go to a thing where when your player jumps up and goes, I'm safe, do you trust that player? Because I don't know if your video review is going to figure it out in 20 seconds and then get the message to you and then you get it to the umpire. That's really quick. You take 10 seconds out of that equation. That gets really, really quick with the replay. You might have to, as a manager, say things like what Tony probably should have done there was been like, hey, we're basically on the umpires. We have this whole new set of rules that happens the next inning where we can ask the crew chief to review things and it doesn't take away from our challenges. It doesn't hurt for me to challenge that play at this point in the game. Like there's going to have to be more of a nuance. And I think that's something that Tony's going to have to to watch. But back to Stone, Stone is like, I mean, he's just angry about strike zones. He's angry about decisions. He's like, He's like, why are we doing this? I would have done it this way. Like, he's going to be really interesting in the booth this year. He was going to be interesting in the booth no matter what. But when you get Steve Stone in full full Steve Stone mode, where he, he is doing that thing where he predicts what should happen next, and when it doesn't come to fruition, he gets upset about it or he questions it, or if he sees something he doesn't like, he really calls it out. That's a fun Steve Stone. And you have to go back, I think, almost to... And to the point where him and uh, Chip Carey got fired by the Cubs for being that guy 
for that Steve Stone to really like come out a lot over the season or for him to really, really get up a good lather. But I'm looking forward to it because I'm looking forward to the idea that as Sox fans, not only are we watching this team with championship aspirations, but we're, we've got you know broadcasters who are going to bring you the game under the guise of this is what has to happen for these guys to make it as opposed to just you know playing do you remember when which and it's that's not a criticism of hawk or, or ed farmer or anything like that but uh with jason benetti and len casper calling the games as opposed to former players calling the games i think they're looking at what's going forward and i think that does bring out some really good analysis from steve stone and then to a certain degree from darren jackson as well so i think it's gonna be a fun listen i think you're right stoney's in he's in mid-season form and he's raring and ready to go and just he's going to question everything and use all of that weird mental oneness with the universe in, in terms of baseball that Stoney has always had, at least from a broadcasting standpoint. And that's also, I think, why he looks so stoned in all of his pictures from the 70s. <laughs> well, the thing is, is that he has honest opinions, but you could always tell he was trying to bite his tongue. Sometimes it would still get through when the team was in the rebuild. Now he's like, no, nah, this team should win. So when somebody screws up, he's like, well, he screwed that play up. Like, as a a player, you should be able to do this. Or as a pitcher, you should know what's going on here. Or as a catcher, like, he was on Grandal. Like, Grandal should have caught that ball the other night. Like, he's like, how does that ball get by him? He's supposed to be a good catcher. He's going to be really interesting when they lose games they shouldn't lose. And it'll be interesting to see if, like, like, what if this team goes on, like, a losing streak? I mean, every team goes on one, right? How angry will the White Sox get? And will Benetti get sucked into it with him when he's criticizing things for, like, three nights on the air? And, and I think Sox fans appreciate that kind of thing. It brings them back to the old days when Harry Carrier was in the booth, you know, and, and, and then also like, you know, when Hawk was, was a little bit more, cri- there was a time when Hawk would get a little critical about the team. Then he became a complete Homer stones, not that. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see, can he suck Bonetti into it? Like, yeah, you're right, Steve, that was a terrible call. Or will he just sit there and go, Steve Stone, everybody, he's, he's opinionated and just move on. It'll be kind of fun to watch, but like, I'm encouraged by listening to his broadcast that I'm going to have fun listening to them. Like, while I'm yelling at the TV about something, Stone's going to be yelling with me, and then I'm going to be having a conversation with him like, right, Steve, that's exactly what I just said. What'll be really fun, too, is watching as all of uh, all of us armchair analysts just start aping what Steve Stone is saying because we're like, well, he he's smart and he knows what he's talking about. And yeah, Steve, you're right. I mean, we'll all get sucked <laughs> in with him. And I, I, I wonder if Benetti's just not going to get sucked in in terms of what he's saying on the, on the broadcast or if he's going to get sucked in because he's just going to sit there and go, oh, I am feeding this. I am feeding this by how I'm going to ask him questions. I'm going to, I'm going to needle him. I'm going to get all of this out. And, uh, you know, and, and I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to throw things at the barking dog and just wait for it to see if it breaks its chain. And I think that's how Benetti is going to handle it, frankly. One of the things that I've really enjoyed looking at during the opening series is uh, Abreu standing next to Pujols at first base. Whenever they show a shot of the two of them, they're laughing and they're talking. And I think to myself, like, here's a guy in Albert Pujols, superstar, last year of his career, right? And he's still dangerous. He's still going to find some ways. a veteran. He's crafty. But, I mean, here's a guy. He's like, he's just enjoying his last year. And then here's an Abreu who who sat through really bad White Sox teams and is the father figure on his own bench. Similar, but he hasn't reached that, like, I'm the old man. You know? I haven't. I, he hasn't gotten to the end. His story isn't completely written yet, Jose Abreu. There's still right. some big years right. possibly left in the tank. And, but yet he's also the vet that stands over at first base. I imagine their conversations, especially like I've seen a few times where you see a young White Sox player up at the plate 
or you see a play being made and these two are standing next to each other where I, I feel like the cameramen are putting them on because they can tell that they're giggling over some stupid rookie mistake or they're laughing at somebody's like, you know, you know, acting like a kid. Like they're the two old guys who seem to have a very mutual respect for each other, especially after what the two of them have done so far in their careers and the points that they're at. I, I don't know. I Maybe I'm crazy, but I've picked up on that during the broadcast so far, the, the back and forth between new, those two guys when they get the first. I, I think you're going to see a lot of that with Jose Abreu and veteran first baseman around the league. The one I'm waiting to see is when they get to playing Detroit and you've got Miguel Cabrera, who's going to play a bunch of first base, according to, you know, his manager this year and and getting a chance to see, you know, that too. Not that Cabrera is in the last year of, uh, of his career or anything like that either necessarily, but I, I think it's fun to watch. I really wish you could mic up those conversations. So I'd like to hear what's going on, not just see it. Yeah, I know. But, it, it, you know, I try to fill in what they're probably talking about, but I, I can't actually... I don't actually know what they're talking about, which is... So you do like a Mystery Science Theater 3000 type of thing with right. it, where you do voices for both of them? That's what I do. That's what yeah, I do. Okay. I, I do I do voices for them. I, I, could, I, I try to imagine what Tim Anderson does. Like the other night, he goes up there and he, you know, he's 0 for 2, and he pokes one right up the middle. And I, I saw him get the first base, and I saw him look right at Albert Pujols, and I swear I could read his lips saying, that's how you hit 330. Like his, his thing was probably like, I'm over two. If I don't get a hit, my average is, 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 is below 300 when I finally get one. And I'm not doing that. Like he takes it like as yep. a personal affront. So he was like, no matter what I do here, I'm just taking the cheap little dink, but I'm getting on, which is good. That's what, that's what he should be doing. That's like he's, he's like, supposed to do what I'm trying to do isn't working. I'm going to take the little dink hit. But I mean, they, they look like pros like two years ago. You look at this team and be like, man, there might be like three guys on this team that are really major league baseball players. And now we have a whole team full of Major League Baseball players that also act and look like pros and talk like pros and walk around like pros and stand out there and have conversations with the other team like pros. And they have they have a confidence within them that I hope that they don't lose. That's the only thing that scares me about a team that's young. And that's, again, it goes back to what we said earlier in the show. Tony LaRusso's job is to make sure that these guys don't get too high and don't get too low. He can't let the confidence get uh, you know, sucked out of them. He can't, let the, he can't let this right now, this feeling of, we're really good. We think we're the best and we're coming for everything this year. You can't let that disappear, even though they're going to have down stretches. They're going to lose games. They're going to have injuries. Hopefully no more injuries that, uh, that, you know, prompt memorial services, but injuries. I mean, they're not, please tell me that they're not putting an internal flame out in front of the statue for the world series that with, with Aloy's like number on it while he's out for the next five months. Are they? Please tell me there won't be there won't be anything else like like a like a flower wreath placed out in left field before every game. Like I, I, I please tell me that that's it. I think we're probably pretty safe with that being it for Aloy. But I will say that if they do lose confidence, we know that they could always hang a White Sox jersey that says "Confidence 2021." They can all <laughs> sign it, and it can just be right there as a reminder of what they've lost. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.